Here we are at Pod and Market. Welcome to our third episode on education. On the first episode, we discussed pay for part-time lecturers, adjuncts, and grad students at Rutgers University, Newark. Last episode, we had a conversation with a newly elected school board member where she shared her goals and her vision for Newark Public Schools. This episode, we will focus on the most important part of the education system itself, the students. First, let's take a step back. You may remember about three months ago, the U.S. Attorney for the District of Massachusetts filed charges against several parents, admissions officers, and coaches for creating a system of bribery and lying on applications with the intent of gaining admission for certain young students into elite institutions. Among those charged, most famously, were Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman. Unfortunately, this story was a bit of a red herring. I believe it is wrong for applicants or their parents to lie on their applications or use money to get admission. These people, however, represent an infinitesimally small number of college admits. The larger issue lies within the academic structures themselves, from the help offered to wealthier high school students during the college application process, to standardized testing, to the quality of public schools. Still, admission is only half the battle. This is why I was sad that this story overshadowed the publication of a very interesting book entitled The Privileged Poor, How Elite Colleges Are Failing Disadvantaged Students. Its author, Anthony Abraham Jack, collected stories at a particular elite institution from students with disadvantaged backgrounds. His stories weren't groundbreakingly new, at least to the people who experienced college coming from these backgrounds. The importance of Jack's work lies in the vocabulary he created to describe these experiences. He categorized these students as either doubly disadvantaged, meaning that they came from an underprivileged background in an an underserved high school, or privileged poor, meaning that they came from an underprivileged background but went to a high-performing private school. Reading the book was strange for me. My own story best aligned with those who fell in the privileged poor category. I could see my life beat for beat. Jack profiled several boarding school students who grew up in urban environments and received scholarships from institutions designed to send such students to boarding school. In fact, he profiled several students from the White Foundation, the very organization that shepherded me through the boarding school process. In keeping with the spirit of Jack's work, I have here with me two current Harvard students. They are here to share their experiences at one of the world's most recognized institutions of higher education and how that university is providing for their education. I hope that this conversation will begin a discussion that will continue both on this podcast and in the wider education world in Newark. So we have with with us uh, Kim Berichter, who is a rising junior and currently majoring in integrative biology at Harvard College. She attended Malcolm X. Shabazz. She is passionate about science and forensic pathology and has participated in research excursions to the Pocono Environmental Education Center, Dingman's Ferry, Pennsylvania, a poster presentation at the 2016 American Geophysical Union Fall Meeting in San Francisco, and a co-author of a scientific manuscript published in 2018. Woo, congrats. Um, She's also a member of the Fund2 Foundation UNCF STEM Scholars Program and the Cooperman College Scholars Program. We also have Lucia Kotu. She is a rising junior at Harvard studying math and history of science. She attended Arts High. Um, She's the co-director of the Deaf Awareness Club, which advocates for equal accessibility for all on Harvard's campus and beyond. She was also a peer advising fellow, working to help first-year students at Harvard as they adjust to life on campus. And a quick editor's note, I I know both of these students uh, previously. Um, One I actually interviewed. when she applied to Harvard. The other um, basically grew up with my family (laughs) uh, a block away. Um, So just I want to put that editor's note out there. Um, But I'm going to throw it over now to my two guests. And I just want to start off with the first question of how was the transition from Newark to Harvard? 
Um, yeah, so for me, you know, the first few days when you're there, it's like really, really exciting and everybody is super excited about um, starting school and all that. And then as you get more and more settled in, I know for me, I grew up with my family and we were all very, very close. So to be from away from home um, was definitely hard for those first few months. Um, and you just kind of learn to adapt with that and it gets harder, it gets better sometimes. So, but overall, not that bad of an experience. Yeah, um, same for me. It was definitely hard getting used to not being around my family 24-7. We'd lived together all my life, and now we didn't. Um, as far as, like, culture shock goes, I didn't really feel much of that, surprisingly. It was definitely new to have to study for things. People did that, you know, and I learned the hard way that I had to do that, too, but... Overall, eventually, you know, I got settled in. Um, what was the kind of programming? Oh, we'll spe focus specifically on your freshman year coming in. What kind of programming did Harvard offer you coming in uh, to help both with that transition, but also just to, um, well, the general transition of being a student going from high school to college, but also of being a student from Newark and going to a place like Harvard at Cambridge, which is like, a very very different world yeah um i think they did a really like they put us in pre-orientation programs if we decided to apply so there was one the first year urban program where you went out to places in boston and you helped out um there was the first year outdoor program you went on a trip for a week and there was dorm crew which you got to work on campus for um a week and make some money before school started and then as the year progressed like they gave us peer advising fellows which was my job um last year um, who are basically students who are aligned with what you want to do and a little bit with your background as well, um, just to help you out with that transition because that transition looks very different for a lot of different people. And having somebody there that you don't know but that has a similar experience to you is really helpful. Um, just to um, follow up, you said similar to your background. So when you talked about these peer advising fellows that get assigned to you, are they? do you feel that there's ever any connection either, um, and this goes to both of you, either um, on a, like, where you came from background in terms of, like, urban to, to, I mean, Cambridge is still urban, but, like, a different kind of more, you know, suburban mentality mm -hmm. place, or is it a race thing? Is it, a, like, what is it that, or is it just purely, like, academically, like, they find out that you're a STEM person and they're going to assign you to a STEM path? For me, it was a little bit more of the latter, so they kind of gear it more towards what it is, at least for me, it was for more what you want to do at the school. So I was aligned with a STEM path because that's the most general path that I decided to go on. Um, in terms of like matching background to background, they try, but that all depends on the diversity of the paths that they have. And so that's a little bit difficult. Um, but like aside from that, they try to align you best. I, at least for me, they tried to align me best with somebody who more reflected what I was going to be doing at the college rather than where I came from. I feel like on my end, particularly since I didn't really use that resource, like I had a path, but we only met when we absolutely had to. Um, we were both in STEM. She was an immigrant, so was, well, so am I, so is she. She was from South Korea. I'm not. Uh, so as far as backgrounds, we shared some similarities, but being that I didn't really use her as a resource, I don't know much beyond that. 
Yeah, it's going to be weird for me for this conversation because I, I also went to Harvard. I mean, I started in 2007, so that's about 12 years ago. Um, but I feel like there's going to be a lot of similarities still. I, I, I loved my paths. They were, you know, they were assigned to, the, I don't know if this is still the system where they're assigned to particular dorms as opposed to the general student population. And they threw parties and stuff, and we'd have, like, meetings at the bottom, bottom of candidate basement, which is a thing. Um, but we never, I never felt that attached. I never went to them for advice. I had no clue. Uh, I had gone in a little background on myself. I had gone in thinking I was going to be a classicist. And like in my first year, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't want to do this. Um, I'm wondering, did, was that, did you feel that you got enough help from them or was that you were getting the help from somewhere else? Academically, at least. Academically, I did rely a lot on my path only because we had like at least on the academic side, we did have a lot of common interests. Um, but in terms of the, the academics, he was really helpful in like, here's where you get scientific funding and here's where you might want to start with research. Um, but in terms of like academics in general, I really depended on the people that I had learned to trust that first year because those people came from a similar background as me, so they knew what I was kind of looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, my path didn't know as much because it was a different STEM field he was pre-med, so there was some similarities, but and he was able to help me a lot. Um, and then there were other things that I went to other people for. Yeah, I didn't really use mine at all. Uh, we met when we had to. Outside of that, we didn't meet. So I got most of my help, like Lucia said, from people that I just grew close to or, you know, my freshman advisor who ended up being my concentration advisor. So... They probably could have been very helpful, but I didn't use them. Yeah, I feel the same way. So I had my advisor was a person with the Harvard uh, University Publishing. That's how broad, by the way, that the advisors, they come from like really far flung places in the university. And mine was in publishing, which was cool. I wish I knew her better now. I mean, I still admire her, but if I knew her better now, I would be more interested in what she's doing. Um, But at the time for me, it was just like she didn't really know much about things had probably changed a lot since she graduated and I don't think she knew as much about, like she never told me, sorry, not to make this conversation about my own experience as well. She never told me not to take math 1B, which is still a class, right? Oh my God. (laughs) I'm a history concentrator who had a secondary in German. Why was I taking math 1B? Why did no one stop me from taking math 1B? Ended up being my worst grade, which is not, it wasn't that bad, but it was my worst grade in my entire college experience. And I'm wondering, did you have a similar experience where you went into a class that you probably shouldn't have taken or took a route that uh, academic route that you don't think you should have. I kind of stopped myself before I did that because I was very persistent on, I said that I was going in as a physics concentrator. I wanted to be a physics concentrator. You weren't going to tell me otherwise. Um, And that first year, especially I did everything I could to try and get myself, because I was already starting behind. So I did every single thing I could to get me to at least the even playing field. And then I walked into the physics class, my first physics class, and for those first two weeks, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. So I, I ended up leaving the class. That, had I continued on that path and just kept being stubborn, that probably would have been like the one academic mistake that I made that really, really messed me up. But, um gladly enough like I had a lot of friends who were like you look like you're unhappy and that's not to say anything about the physics program it's just that that wasn't for me so as far 
As far as the courses that I've taken so far go, I mean, I've gotten grades that I wasn't happy with, but so far all the classes I've taken, I'm glad I've taken mm -hmm. them and they're useful and they contribute to what I want to do. So Right. I mean, I, I, I know that you both went to neuropublic schools and I don't want to turn this into a session about that, but do you feel that um, New York Public Schools prepared you for the, I know this is, I see you both laughing, right? Like, did it prepare you for uh, both academically and socially? Although I think we could keep the social separate because we could talk about that later. But do you think NPS got you ready academically for Harvard? I have a, a very unique ex experience right. in the sense that I went to arts. I was a dance major for four years. Like, we definitely took math and science classes, but they weren't our main concern at the school. Um, so then saying, oh, I'm going to Harvard and I'm studying a STEM field, like that was a very, very big transition. Um, that being said, I think the biggest shock in that came not in what I was taught at NPS, but the way like I, I found myself learning at NPS was like, I was always kind of a little bit ahead of the curve, so I didn't have to worry that much. And that's just not the case in college. Yeah. And I think that's just not the case in college, period. Like, there's not a person who walks into a college class and is like, I've got this down packed. Um, so in terms of that, like, you're like a superstar at, while you're at NPS because it's like, oh, this person's learning ahead of the curve and these test scores that they're producing are great and stuff like that. And then you get to some place, you get to a college class and you're just like, that's not the way that the academics go. And so in that, I think that I wasn't ready for that because that was a big, big shock my first year. Um, like, like, like you said, like Kim said, like having to study for things and like having to study rigorously for things. I was like, this is not something that I'm used to. Yeah. Uh, before college, I do remember, you know, like studying was a bit of a thing, particularly just for certain classes mm -hmm. or, you know, taking the SAT but having to study for everything in college was something that I only learned how to do after I got some grades back that I didn't like at all. So I definitely feel like the having to study wasn't really something that was taught to me in high school. Sure, people said, you know, it's going to be hard, you're going to have to study but usually I find that I learn through experience, not just people telling me things. So I had to uh, fail a couple of things before I figured out, hey, why don't we try studying, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's funny because it's something I really didn't learn until law school, really, mm -hmm. um, for myself. Because it's like, and I went to a boarding school, which is obviously a different experience. But I love when people tell you, tell you to study. Like, and you're like, well... What does that mean? What does that <laughs> like, mean? Yeah. And like, do you feel that like Harvard is giving you the tools? Because I want to flip this on its head. Like you come from NPS, but like what is Harvard doing for you to tell you what that word study means or what does it mean to succeed or how do you even define success, which is a whole different question. Yeah. I think those first few classes <laughs> were definitely like eye opening in the sense that like I saw a lot of, I was like, oh no, it's like, it's Calc 1. I can figure this out on mm -hmm. my own. And those first few test scores test scores you get back you're like oh no you can't figure this out on your own and so I started looking at all my like all the kids in the class with me because it was a really big class like we were in smaller sections but it was a really big class and I was like how are they like I'm missing little things like how are they getting these things and I would see like they have the math question center that's open at night from 7 to 11 where there are people there to help you with the the homework assignment there are office hours those are things that I didn't 
like I when I got to campus I knew existed but I didn't know how heavily they were used and there were kids who like put it in their schedules like I'm going to office hours at this time and then they walk out with the assignment done and they get a hundred versus me I was like oh that just seems like a lot like you just show up you just show up at a professor's office and like I'm here to do work so that seemed a little off to me but having that having learned that after those first few classes they never explicitly said oh you should go to office hours but seeing people there I was like oh well maybe that's what they're doing that's making them better in this class than I am so I tried that out and in that way they did help definitely uh collaboration is something that's huge and I had a bit of, you know, collaboration in high school, but never on homework assignments. I always studied alone. But then I get to college and, you know, studying alone doesn't help me anymore. Yeah, I, I that was a hard part for me because, like, my blocking group, and your blocking group only forms after, well, forms at the end of freshman year, but follows you through, usually, mm-hmm. uh, for the next three years. And I was the one... Well, me and Kelly, so sorry to call you out, Kelly, um, were the two people who were not, like, STEM people in my blocking group. And so, like, I didn't have a natural, like, friend place to do that for history. And obviously, it works a little bit different because with problem sets, you guys can work together a little bit easier. With history, it's really hard because you're often either have an exam or a paper at the end, and that's, like, really supposed to be just yourself. Um, but it, w- it was hard for me because, I, like, I, 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 the reason why I asked the question earlier is because I didn't know like what were those tools where do i go there's a math center. i even know it's a new thing the math center or it's been around for a few years it's like made i think especially for like the athletes because they can't make office hours because they're in practices in the afternoon yeah. so from 7 to 11 every single night they have people there to help them out and i was just like i didn't know that was a a thing and yeah. b i didn't know that that was a thing that people used as often as they did when I actually did go and see. So it's, is it like the 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 Bach Writing Center? Yeah, okay. it's pretty much. It's like you go and they're, they're course assistants, so they're undergrads who help teach the course. Right. And they're there and they help you with whatever the problem is. They like do it out on the board and like actually help you figure out what you're missing. But, I mean, I didn't know about that until I needed to figure it out myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the listeners at home, I'm about to ask a very, very Harvard question, but I'm going to explain why okay. um, afterwards. Um, but um, And it's a question uh, both of you can feel free not to answer. But which expos <laughs> did you get thrown into? And I'm going to explain this to the listeners after they answer. I if you're okay with sharing it also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I took expos 10. Okay. So it's there's Expos 20, which is you take one semester of it. But Expos 10, they had just started as a program for people who didn't know how to write well. And I felt like I kind of, I put myself in that category, but also my, te- my you know, test put me in that category. But I, so I took that my first semester. And then my second semester, you have to take Expos 20. Yeah. But I took Expos Studio 20, which is like Expos 20, but just a little bit less. And it like focuses really on your writing. And I mean... It was an extra semester that didn't count for anything, but for me, it was really helpful. A, a little side note for the listeners at home. Lucia blew over this, but uh, you um, you mentioned the test, which yes. is insane because you literally come to Harvard's campus and among all the crazy things you're doing, and we're getting to the, the fact of dorm crew and all this other yeah. stuff we'll talk about later. Um, but one of the first things you do is this giant test, as well as other tests. Like for, for classicists, you actually have to go to the language department mm-hmm. and do, and I did pass out of Latin and Greek and was ready to do the department full-fledged. Um, but you also are doing these other tests, which is insane because you're also like new environment, trying to move in. Like was, how did that make you feel to take a test? Literally on your first week, I think, uh, right? Or first two weeks? I don't know when they have you do the test. First week. I remember taking it actually like my senior year. 
there were while you were in on, high school there oh, were yeah. online wow. diagnostics yeah. that right. you would take so you would say you would take like a chemistry diagnostic you would take a math diagnostic and then the english one you would write they would give you a topic mm-hmm. and i think they give you like 24 hours mm-hmm. and you would write a paper and send it in mm-hmm. and they would use that to see what classes you should be placed in and then if you wanted to test out of a language mm-hmm. you would take the first test during your senior year and you would take a f- formal like in-person test when as soon as you got to campus mm-hmm. um and you know like you're in the middle of senior year like classes aren't over yet you're still doing things um you're also just trying to enjoy the last few weeks of senior year and they're like here's a diagnostic test and i'm like yeah i know it's so funny because from their perspective like diagnostic that sounds great because we're here to help you and you're on your end you're like diagnostic it sounds like i have a disease yeah. <laughs> like, and you're trying to figure out what what's wrong with me i was me. just like oh my gosh mm-hmm. i, I would, that, that we were gonna wait till campus but here we go again let's go yeah. let's go yeah i remember uh specifically for the personal narrative or essay whatever they called it I remember just sitting at my computer writing that and then like I didn't tell my mom that I'd take any of these because I mean I figured it wasn't that I guess for lack of a better word important but you know I put my all into this and then I remember telling her you know she had asked me what were you typing up then I told her like oh it's this you know big essay blah 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 and she was like taken aback she was like what and I'm like yes Mm -hmm. that actually happened yeah, yeah. like, I remember, like, having to ask my calc teacher at the time, like, mm-hmm. I know this is calc class, and I know this is important, but I also have a calc diagnostic. Can I go take it right now? And I would, like, go to the library on the computer and take it for an hour. And it was, like, not that big of a deal when I took it. Mm-hmm. And then they, like, right before you get to campus, they, like, give you your results, and you're like, okay, that sounds about right, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of have to make do with what you get. Right. I mean, so and I just want to go back to Xbox, just because yes. Xbox is universal, as opposed to like chemistry diagnostic. Mm-hmm. If you're doing chemistry, you're, you're, you'll do that. But if you're not like me, you didn't have to. Yeah. I'm wondering, is there, I, I, there was sort of a stigma with Xbox ten, and I feel bad saying this because it's the whole point of the system is to help people. But what is the, f- how does it feel on campus? I know people obviously aren't talking about it at parties, right? It's not like a thing that people worry <laughs> yeah. about in that sense, but. It is a place where you're constantly trying to show off to an extent. I felt when I was there, and I love, and I love it. I honestly think one of the best communities I ever lived in was Harvard. Like in terms of just like an academic community, like I love the people there. But I did feel a sense that there was, and I didn't take Xbox Ten, but I felt there was a weird stigma with, it, and I was deeply worried that I was going to be placed in that class. Um, I don't, do you guys feel the same way? Do you think people on campus feel that? I mean. Perhaps I didn't. I took Xbox Twenty, so I personally didn't feel you know any sort of stigma and I had friends who told me they were in Xbox 10 as well but then to me personally I didn't see it as much of a big deal because you have students coming in from places where they had never spoken English before so I personally don't see you know like with such a diverse group of people why it should be such a big stigma. Yeah, I think with the the stigma that I felt with it was if I was to tell somebody that I was an Xbox 10, there would be like, oh, what's that? Oh, and it really? Was just like, yeah, oh, and wow. it's just like it wasn't something you – what I felt was you didn't know about Xbox 10 unless you were in Xbox 10 or you were on the cusp of being in Xbox 10. Because like if you were right on the cusp, they would try to convince you one way or the other. And But if you were like solidly placed in Xbox 10, like you knew. And it was just – it was kind of weird for me because I go in and there were a lot of international students and they were like, yeah, like we've never written a paper in English. And then for, for a second there, I was like, I mean, I've, 
I've written a paper in English before. I just didn't know that it was like like that bad. Oh. But then it, the the what I felt the stigma was was like talking to other people. It was like you're in X plus ten. What's that? And it's like it's you know X plus twenty, but like slowed down for people <laughs> who need to learn how to write right. and they would be like oh interesting like it was always oh interesting and then that was just it and so it wasn't like a really big stigma and then people who had no friends in it like didn't even care about it at all because you wouldn't know about it unless you were in it or knew somebody in it so nice. and you, do you still get to do expos 20 with like the subject specific yeah okay, so you cool. can or the year i took it i think was either the first or second year where they introduced studio 20 which was Basically, an extension of Xbox 10, it was you didn't get to pick a specific topic because with Xbox 20, there's so many of them that you get to pick a topic that you like to talk about and take that one versus Xbox Studio 20 was more about it was called a successful life. And it, we would just talk about success. Um, but it was one less paper than Xbox 20. So mm -hmm. there was the appeal of that. But there was also the appeal of you got a lot more attention on your work. So there was a stigma. But I feel like I benefited a lot from it because people in Xbox 20 are, don't get the attention on their papers that I got for mine. Yeah, so. you're, you're definitely right about that. That was true 12 years ago. Yeah. I mean, not to bash my Xbox 20 <laughs> teacher, but like, it just seemed like it, he was there because he had to be there and like he was in another department. I was also super jealous. My friends all, this is annoying. This is one of those minor things, but like their Xbox 20 person ended up winning the Pulitzer the next year Jesus. for a book he wrote. So they were like, oh, look, we had the best one. And I was like, what, like, what is this? Yeah. And then there was also the thing of like people would go into an Xbox class that they thought that they would like the topic. Yeah. And then it would just be something complete. Like it would not be what they thought it was. So it would be like, there was one, I think, on like fairy tales. And people were like, oh my God, we're going to get to read and analyze these fairy tales. And then it took like a really, really hard turn. And people were like, yeah, no, this is the one I signed up for. And I was like, well, it kind of is what you signed up for. Yeah, that was true with mine too. Yeah. Uh, mine was America in the world as an empire. And I really thought it was going to be more historically based. And it was just not that. And yeah. uh, that's one of the problems with Xbox. Not to turn this into a conversation about Xbox. <laughs> but um, the reason why I asked, I asked the Xbox question was I wanted to get at this issue um, that you may or may not have heard of called imposter sy syndrome. Have you? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm getting two nods here. Um, so for the listeners at home, imposter syndrome is something that often affects, it's often associated with um, students of color, but I think it's much broader than that. Um, it, off, it, it can definitely apply to class. Um, but it's this idea that you don't feel that you belong somewhere. Um, it's something I, to be honest and share something um, very um, internal from me to, to this podcast um, I suffered from it um, in not so much in high school, weirdly, um, even though I was at a boarding school, but uh, definitely in college, definitely in law school. Law school is a weird animal. Even when I was working at the federal courts, I, I felt like I did not necessarily belong or I, I had got, taken a seat from someone who may have been more academically or um, professionally deserving. Do you do are those feelings that you feel? Is it stuff that you guys get to talk about it all? Um, I personally feel like I didn't go through imposter syndrome in, so far. In college, I did have other problems, such as, you know, not wanting to ask a question in a big lecture room because I thought, oh, I must be stupid or something. But I never felt like I didn't belong. I felt like I had earned the right to be here and no one's going to take that right away from me. But... Um, I have had friends who describe to me what seemed to be imposter syndrome, and I can understand the point of view, but I've never, so far, 
personally experienced it in at least an education setting? Yeah, um, I had a, a, a little bit of it at the very beginning of my freshman year and then a lot this past year just because, you know, as, as we, you know, pick our majors and stuff like that, it gets a lot more intense. And so I'm a math major and I walk into them, they have a math common room in the science center and I walk in and these kids are talking numbers like, like if they all had like a Nobel Prize and I'm like, I just don't belong in this department, do I? Um, and I think like a lot of people do feel it. That it's just weird when you see people on campus that know everything like about how to be on campus and it's like, oh, that person's definitely meant to be here. Like there are people that you, I mean, I don't know if Kim would agree, but there are people that I meet on campus and I'm like, you were definitely meant to be here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then versus me, it's like sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, like I killed that. Like I'm definitely meant to be here. And then sometimes I'm just like, you did not. <laughs> you did not just mess that up like you did. And I think like those conversations are very difficult, but I've only ever found myself having those conversations with people who are of a similar background to me because they're the only ones who seem to understand it in a way. Mm -hmm. Some of them are also the only ones who experience it. Yeah. or who are, like, aware of it on campus um, versus there are some people who are like, nope, I was meant to be here, and I know it. And I'm like, that's really awesome yeah. for you. Like, but there are, I've, I've always found, and those conversations are really, really honest and really, really deep very quickly, which is one of the reasons why I think you can only have it with a person that you, like, trust. And I only seem to trust the people who come from a very similar background that I can, like, associate with. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of weird. Cause I say this loving my blocking group and my roommate who wasn't in my blocking group but is now, like, one of my best friends. Or my best friend, in fact. Um, but we were the only two of us in that group that whose parents did not have, like, postgraduate education, even. I mean, which is crazy to think about. Like, everyone else in my blocking group, both parents had some form of, like, not just an undergrad degree, but a degree after that, or decided to do something with their life where they didn't need that, but it was clear that they were very high-performing. And it's weird because it feels like they got a, a language. Oh, they knew exactly what to do, and I felt a little jealous coming on. I don't, do you guys feel the same way, like, them knowing, like, having friends who know exactly how to operate in that world? Oh, yeah. I, I talk to people sometimes and they talk to me about their like their parents and stuff. And I'm just like, like they try to relate to me. So they're like, oh, yeah, like my parents went through that, too. And I'm like, and then they'll go off about a story about like how their parents really suffered through their postdoc careers. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, totally valid struggle. It's just not the struggle that I, I associate with. And then you can definitely tell that like those are the kids who know what they're talking about on campus and they know what they're doing, especially like people who, whose parents went to Harvard. Like they know because they have that extra language. My parents don't know how to fill out a FAFSA. Like, yeah. so like having to, in essence, teach myself that hidden language that exists and also try and find a way to make that hidden language, like something that my parents know about. Like my parents don't know anything about financial aid. I have a younger brother who's about to go to college and it's like, my parents want to help. It's just that they're not, they were never exposed to that stuff, so they don't know it. Versus me, who's gone through a year of two, well, two years now, oh my gosh, <laughs> two years of college. And my, my siblings, who have also been through similar processes, like we know a little bit of it, so we can help. But there are definitely, I, at least I feel, there are definitely those kids who like came in with that language and like knew it off the top of their heads. 
And those were the kids that I would look at and be like, oh, you definitely belong here. So Yeah, similarly, um, a lot of what I learned in college, my mother and I learned together. I do have an older brother. We're seven years apart, and he'd done the whole college thing course much before I had. But it's still a different experience. Yeah. And, you know, we had never applied for you know, federal financial aid before I went to college because my brother was in a different situation, different school and what have you. So having to do financial aid, you know, and fill that out and just learn all these little things, you know, as a family, we learned them together, which I feel like I couldn't tell that to certain people on campus because they couldn't relate. But I also wouldn't want to be nothing against them like them because I feel like there's a certain strength that I get knowing that, you know, it's not just my struggle, but it's my family struggle in a way and we're learning things together. So I wouldn't want to trade that in. I agree 100%. And then like in that finding people on campus who have a very similar experience, like that's why people always ask me like, what's the strongest community that you've found on campus? And I'm like, it's truly my friends because Mm. I'm, I'm very, not picky, but like I know who I have around me. And having that common struggle, like once we all go through it together, it just makes us stronger. So like I love having that. And I I agree with Kim. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah, and I always say this when I do interviews. Um, Often students will ask me at the end, like, oh, like that question they always ask of like, oh, what was the thing you liked most about Harvard? Expecting an answer of like, professors whatever or i got to see this lecture with this famous whatever i'm like no it was my friends like by far like uh, miles ahead they were the people who i learned the most from not necessarily academically although that actually was true in some cases like i literally learned physics from a good friend of mine meredith i'm shouting you out um (laughs) and not from the professor who's actually teaching me the class um and not that he was a bad professor he was actually pretty great but it was like getting the concept was from a friend of mine and that wasn't a study group that was just literally hanging out um and I, it just, it's weird because I think what drives me nuts is oftentimes people villainize students at um, elite institutions as being like from wealthy families and they think it's more of a class thing, which can be true. Um, and they're like, oh, they're always showing off their wealth or they just don't understand what it's like to come from a city or from rural. I don't want to leave those students out either yeah. from a rural background. Um, but for me, it was not about like class. It was actually more of just like they just lived in a different world that operated differently. They were socially conscious. They were liberal, most of them. Um, and they weren't being mean. It was just they, their parents were involved in a, in their academic lives in a way that mine weren't, yeah. which is a blessing and a curse because my parents knew nothing about my concentration, which meant that I could, you know, decide what I wanted to study without them being like, well, you really should be doing this. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, when you don't have that help, you don't have your parents to run to, it gets a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, it. It makes us stronger in the end, which is, like, that's why I say I wouldn't trade it for anything because it's, like, there's a different, like, growing up process that comes when you have to figure this all out by yourself. And that's, like, that's okay. But, like, there's also those times where you just wish, like, you could talk to your parents about, like, what you're studying or, like, the extracurriculars you're involved in. And, like, if I told my parents, like, they'd be like, oh, sweetie, that's really interesting. But they wouldn't, like, understand it the way that some of these parents of these students of our like our classmates do right and that's fine too 
Also, I just want to say, she might be listening. So I, my, I had an exception. So I had an aunt who went to college, went to BU, right across the river. So, and she was someone I could do that with. And I, I, I just, I'm afraid of getting that phone call from her and being like, well, we talked a lot of time. Um, so no, Susie, thank you so much for your help while I was up there. Um, but uh, I, I actually want to talk now also about, because we talk a lot about academics, but let's just talk about like social life slash extracurricular slash work life. Because I think all of us here were work study. Um, or whatever that because Harvard has a weird system. Yes. Um, I I got very very lucky. So I came in with enough German that I was hired by the Center for European Studies to be their librarian for four years. Um, even after, well, they gave me a different position when the library was cut because you guys don't remember this. Two thousand eight was a crazy year at Harvard. <laughs> there were budget cuts across. They got rid of hot breakfast. Oh, which we still ended, remember. Oh, you hear about the the they, legends of the hot breakfast? We still don't have hot breakfast <laughs> in the houses. We have a waffle maker, and you know, like it's great, but like sometimes you just don't want to eat those waffles for an entire week. So I was <laughs> on like, the undergraduate council, the elected student body. The amount of meetings we had about hot breakfast, you would think it was like the Second World War. Right, like as if like it were rationing and like people were dying, and yeah. I, I actually coming from someone who loved hot breakfast, like I was also pretty passionate about it. Yeah. Um, but I, it's funny to see that that stuff is still oh, yeah. echoing. Oh yeah. Um, but I was a librarian at the Center for European Studies, and I got very lucky to have a job that let me set my own hours. Um, I interacted pretty much with just academics and students who were very very deep in the European weeds. Um, but what uh, what do you guys do to help you know? Um, fill in your bank accounts and, you know, pay for Harvard? Uh, freshman year, I had just done a lot of psych studies in the psychology department. Oh, my God. I did that, too. <laughs> yeah. I would just go on their website, look for uh, how long, how much they pay, and I'd go in and collect my money. Uh, but then sophomore year, once I got into a house, uh, I had audited a class that my uh, resident dean was giving and then I got to know her through that and then through the house email she was asking for someone to babysit her six-year-old daughter I had answered the email and then ever since then I've I do babysitting yeah yeah um, I started with dorm crew um, which is just helping to clean the, the bathrooms in the first year dorms can you explain um, a little bit more? Just like it's a very yeah. I don't know if it's a uniquely Harvard thing, but I I haven't come come across another university that does this. Yeah. So just like can you flesh it out yeah, like completely course. what's going so on? So it's like so they hire students and basically what you do is you go and clean the in suite bathrooms in the freshman dorms. Um and it pays And the houses too. In the houses yeah, too. Yeah, yes, the upper yes, the upper yes, classman yes. dorms yes, too. Yes, yes, that's true. And um you get paid really well. I think they ask for a minimum of two hours a week. That's it. So, oh, really? Just yeah, two hours? Just oh, two wow. hours a week. So there would be some weeks where, like, if you have the time, you could work as many hours as you want. And you'd literally, like, go in and you're like, I want to work. Can I have a key to this dorm? And they would give you the key and you would go in and you'd clean the, the bathrooms and, and they paid well. It was, it was, a, it was a pretty good job. Um, but then I, I was there over the summer, last summer. I also did a lot of, like, the, the studies where you get paid, like, $40 for two hours of, of a research thing. Um, and then over the summer, I worked for the Harvard student, um, the Harvard shop, which is run by the Harvard oh, yeah. student agency, um, which is all completely student run. And I worked that over the summer while I took a class um, and proctored. And then this year, I was blessed 
with a job at the dining hall, the first year dining hall, Annenberg, which is they the hire huge, students at the mm-hmm. yes, at Annenberg. I, I didn't, didn't know, know that, but they have in their budget for two student workers, and so literally all I do what is do like do? I like laminate things, I run copies, like oh, I just help the managers, and then if it gets really busy on the floor and they need extra hands, yeah. like I'll help them on the floor, um, and that I I'm like okay, boss, I'm going to show up at 12. And he's like, all right. And you just kind of clock in and clock out. And you just, however, it, it the, the one thing I will say about the jobs is that they're very, very flexible. So it's you set your own availability. And whenever it is that you can come in, like they'll they'll let you come in. Um, so that's what I've been doing these past that's two years. That's funny I had asked about that same job. <laughs> they didn't have it? Oh, no, I had gotten like the business, his business card yes. and stuff, but I just never followed through. I Yeah. I got you. That's uh, that's a curse, though. I mean, like I've done that too, where like I wanted to proctor during the summer, I never followed through mm-hmm. on the application, mm-hmm. and I probably would have been able to yeah. do that. Proctoring, by the way, for the people at home, uh, is what Harvard has a completely different language than any other university. Yes. Um, proctoring is not what you think it is. It's simply being an RA yeah. for freshmen specifically, or summer school students if it's for the summer, summer school students. Summer program. Yeah. Um, they become tutors when they are RAs for um, an upperclassman. Um, but the reason I just want to talk about dorm crew is um, also, I mean, do you have any stories from that that, like, are crazy or do you feel, um, if it's something you want to share, you're, you're more than ha- welcome to not share if you prefer not to. I mean, it was, like, it was as, as good of a job as, I mean, granted, they are one of the highest paying jobs on right. campus, so I will give them that. Um, but it's, like, what do you expect to see when you walk into, like, a college dorm bathroom um and some of them were like super easy they'd take like 10 minutes because everything would be like in its place and then some of them were just like a mess and it's just like well (laughs) you signed up for this room here you go um it it never got super bad at least for me it never got terrible but there were a few where i was just like guys come on what are we doing here i I guess i bring it up because i i i I'm involved with the Harvard Club in New Jersey, so I, I interact with a lot of older alums, and they fawn over dorm crew, talking about how it's an amazing thing, and like it gets students like to do hard work. And I'm just sitting here, and I'm like, and this is something that's mentioned in the, in the Privileged Poor book, with this program called Community Detail at renowned university, wink, wink. Um, but about how like there's a lot of like fawning over this program but it's also very strange and I'm glad that your experience was not as um, um, not as um, I don't know what the good word for it is but not as traumatizing traumatizing yeah I don't want to feel bad using that word but yeah like it was even weirdly I don't want to use the word traumatizing because that carries a lot of weight to it but it was weird for me too because it was a friend of mine who I opened the door once and she's someone I knew who was coming to clean my bathroom and it almost felt like a housemaid servant relationship which i understand is something that it does exist in the real world and has to be managed but like it's even weirder when it's someone that you're explicitly told is your peer and it also is strange for me because i got very lucky to work at the center for european studies where i, I developed um a sort of academic slash um professional relationship with the director there who then like got me a position to work in Parliament in the UK, which is something uh, I was an Anglophile at the time, a huge Anglophile, and I wanted to go and work in the UK, and that was that opportunity. And I feel like yeah. when you're doing dorm crew, like you're just not getting the same. Even with babysitting, weirdly, you're getting that kind of like, I don't know, networking more than you would with. I mean, this is something that people did at law school. Like people actually, law students would babysit law professors just so that they can get in contact with yeah. those law professors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel that 
those students are missing out, and that's why I, I, I that's why I keep asking about dorm crew because it always weirded me out that that there was this sort of servant class that were oh well, there was no wealthy unless there was some weird student who like really wanted to work like and join the proletariat. There were no wealthy students doing dorm crew, right? No, ha- let alone works. I mean, also work study too. But yeah. like, um, it was all the, all the students who are doing dorm crew are mostly kids of color, mostly kids who come from rural or poor backgrounds. Um, and uh, it's not as universal as experience. Like, it'd be yeah. different if everyone had to do it. Yes. Like, my boarding school where, like, there were certain things that everyone yeah. had to do, right? Um, yeah, it was just... it. W- I mean, it was weird because I would walk into the... Like, I would... You were, you were supposed to knock to see if anybody's in the room. Because if they're in the room, then they'll let you in. But if they're not, then you use the key that you have. And it was just... I would always hope that there was not somebody there yeah. so I could just go in, do what I had to do and get out. And then it would like, it's not something where like you go in and you're like having a conversation with these people, even though they are your peers. Like these are literally, I would go into freshman dorms my freshman year. Like these are explicitly my peers. And it was never just something of like, I had a conversation with them while I was cleaning their bathroom. It was kind of, if they would open the door, it'd be like, hi. And I'd be like, hi, I'm here to clean your bathroom. And then I would just kind of walk in, put my headphones on, clean it up, do what I had to do, and then leave. Was, so. there, was there anyone ever that you knew? That yes. you recognized? Okay, so yes. for sure. Yeah, that yeah. and there would, be, and like the people who I was in classes with who were really friendly, they'd be like, oh, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hey, like I'm here to clean your bathroom. Like it was never awkward in yeah. a way. It was awkward more funnily enough like the people that i didn't know it was just kind of like they're like oh here's this girl here to clean our bathroom and it's like it was just it was like a weird experience like it paid well like you cannot you know and so that's what i find myself what i found myself doing was like listen that's an extra couple you know like depending there was one week where i worked i think eight hours and it was like a nice check like it was like 150 dollars for a week's work and you're just like wow but i found myself as i kept going like I would always work on Fridays because it was the last thing I would do in the week. And I would never work more than the two hours. I would work specifically the two hours and then just go home. Got it. And it, that's what, $30 a week. And that's just kind of what I did. Yeah. And, but what's funny is you mentioned this earlier when you're describing it, that it's specifically the ensuite bathrooms. Yes. And not the, cause so if you don't live in a, um, in a, um, uh, a suite or like, you know, a, a, a room with multiple college student rooms, you, uh, the bathroom is uh, a public, or not public, yeah, it's a hallway bathroom. Hallway bathroom. And that's cleaned by professional yes. people. And it always blew my mind that it was never the other way around, right? It, yeah. To solve this problem, uh-huh. I would think. Or maybe you would still run into the problem because you're still running into students while they're in the hallway bathroom. But I don't know. It's just it weirded that me out that yeah. you were always entering other people's yes. space and you were clearly entering it as a servant. Yeah. I don't know. And you kind of just, like, you would walk in and you'd see a mess or you'd see a really nice room and you'd be like, oh, like, that's really cool. But, like, you can't, do anything you just you're just walking through a stranger's room to their bathroom and then cleaning it and so like i get that whole thing of like there wasn't something to connect to in a way because like my job now at the dining hall i know all the dining hall workers i know my managers we all sometimes just sit and joke around like there's a connection there that there isn't or that at least i didn't feel during dorm crew um not to shift gears too much we actually want to talk about um the um, the new program that that wasn't there when I was there the f- um for it's first gen oh, what's it called fire fire thank fire. you can you describe fire a little bit so it's um it's meant to be a pre orientation program that's for first gen low income students um because they've 
become aware of that really big transition that happens. Um, I didn't, I wasn't a director or anything in it, but Same. but I had some of my PAFIs, some of my advisees were in it, and they were just like, yeah, like they were just, we would go to these panels about different careers, and we would, you know, have these special lunches. We had really, they had really good connections with um, other, like, students, um, upper class students, and you know, it, it was a pilot program this year, and I had a few PAFIs that were in that program, and those they all loved it, and they still kept in contact with the people that they were, like, working with. Um, and it's, like, great, but I know that they had, like, they were fighting over it for uh, a good, like, a good year what or two. What do you mean fighting over Like, they were fighting to get it to become oh, a pre Like, because it was, it's great in concept, but nobody wants to, like, they ended up having students plan it out. Like, the students who were in charge of, fire for the first year I believe were the ones who would sit with the deans and be like so this is what we want the program to look like and it, I guess in that way it's like really empowering because it's made from students who needed that help when they were coming in for students who need that help when they're coming in but like that shouldn't be something that they had to have fought for yeah that drives me nuts because yeah. like there's so much like literature pumped out by the admissions office about like being inclusive and it's kind of crazy that the students are the ones having to organize and, and get this stuff running yeah now would you have wanted to do that program was it a choice that you you both of you didn't do it or it wasn't around when we no. oh it wasn't around no. it's that new okay because yeah. i had heard about it and it was were literally about just it. this last mm-hmm. year was the first wow. was the first year do you think it would have helped um well i was pretty set i looking at the options i had at the time i was pretty set on doing fall dorm cleanup because you also made some money so i don't know if it would have like, if it would have been included, I would have definitely considered it, but I still think I would have done the fall cleanup just for the fact that you do get money for it, you know, and you get to move into your room early. And I saw those as, like, tangible, concrete benefits that yeah. I could get. Um, let me ask a question. Um, if they paid you to do fire or and they gave you the ability to go into your room early, maybe not as much as fall mm-hmm. cleanup, but if they had paid you half, would you have done it? It would have been a serious consideration. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's that's what I found myself doing is when they sent out the, the list for these pre-orientation programs. It's like, they're all great. Like, I had my my first-year roommate did um, FUP, which is the first-year urban program, and right. she would go into Boston and do these public service things, and it was amazing. Like, she got to take dance classes with little kids. It was entertaining, but it was like, you're not paying me. And that was a big thing going into going into a new environment, going into college and not really having a job or anything mm-hmm. set up yet. I was like, I'll apply, but if I don't get dorm crew, then I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't know that I have much interest in these other programs. Now, if FIRE was paying and it was like half, that would be a very, very, very serious consideration, but I don't know still if I would have done it. Right, but uh, that's actually what I kind of want to get at, is wondering if it would be a serious mm-hmm. thing yes, you would think about. Would. Be- yeah, Because mm-hmm. I, I always wonder if, like, maybe these programs came with money or some kind of, like... I don't want to say... Because the incentive should be for the program itself, but, like, people often kind of forget that, like, that you're competing with other incentives, right? Yeah. And in this case, doing work for cold hard cash. Like, yeah. You know, let's put it bluntly. And that's the thing is, like, those, those dorm crew was eight-hour days five days six days a week Mm -hmm. because it was i think we worked every day that we were there before school started and it's eight hours a day i think it was like 13 dollars an hour like you're racking up some serious money in that week and 
for some kids, they did that, and they were set for the first semester, like if you managed it well. So there was just, and on top of that, you left the, pro, you left the first week knowing you already had a job if you wanted it, yeah. because you were allowed to continue term time. So there was just too many incentives for that program. Did either of you do commencement or no? Because I know they no. also pay very no. well for that, too. To do all the uh, commencement, they have the students setting up the chairs and doing all this other work. Yeah, as well. and they also hire, like, for bartenders mm -hmm. and stuff. And they make, yeah. I've heard that they make serious, serious cash. Um, I just want to come, like, full circle a little bit. Um, I, obviously, you don't know where your careers are going yet. Uh, maybe not. Uh, or maybe you do. I don't know. But what does it feel like to come back to Newark? Like coming back here during the summer during winter breaks um phenomenal phenomenal I, I mean, like absolutely like yeah. i wait for the day oh, yeah. really yes oh, yeah. i wait for the day i was the exact opposite i felt like coming back i felt weird i felt out of place i'm ready to come back there are, there are certain places that i feel out of oh, like yeah. out of place now like because there's just too much mm -hmm. going on but like Oh, when I tell you coming home to a home cooked meal, seeing your friends mm -hmm. again, and the the good thing about it is like all of my friends are on the same schedule as I am because they're, they're all in college or they're working, so they have the same break as I do. So it's like when we come back, it's just fun, 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 and it's like those days that you just kind of can't wait mm -hmm. to go home. You're just like, please get me like not nothing against the campus, right. but right. please get me home as soon as I can just being be back home. in the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Cause I, I got, and maybe the difference here is I left at 13 mm -hmm. as opposed to you guys who left at 17 or 18. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's both that leaving and not having that same friend base that, that I mean, I still have friends and people I grew up with. I literally was at a wedding for someone like that last night. Um, but it, coming back for me was weird um and i wanted to come back like particularly when i when i left harvard to come and after graduating to teach here in newark uh, i was really excited to do that but i, I felt like it, it was a weird kind of like i have to reintegrate myself in um and the reason why i didn't like coming back on break so much when i was in college is like i i had a group of friends that like i had become so close to mm -hmm. and coming back here was like i was literally twiddling my thumbs yeah for a whole summer like doing cool work that i was doing but um i wasn't going out in the same way that i was back up at yeah um at harvard do you guys feel that you have a strong friendship network up there i mean yeah i have my core group of friends that you know will have like at least one meal together every day even though we don't live in the same house and we are in sometimes the same classes and you know i'm really grateful to have that friend group yeah. Yeah. I also have um shout out to my roommate Silvana if you're <laughs> listening. Um we're roommates now. We took the bus up together our, when we were going to dorm crew and we like sat across from each other and just fell asleep. Um but she's like one of my closest friends on campus and you know like just having even one person that you can just rely on. But I'm also still really close to everybody here back home. Mm. And they're all kind of going through the whole college thing, too. So we're all, even though we're like 200 miles apart, there's still a really, really strong connection. Yeah, take this from an old fogey over here. But like that group of friends are the ones I'm still, more than law school, more than high school, are the people I still, we're, we're scattered to the winds at this point. But um, most of end up in California because that's where that's everyone goes now. Goes, yeah. <laughs> Literally, like I think half my graduating class went either the Bay Area or um, L.A. Um but these are people I still like. They're the weddings I go to because a lot of wedding invitations. I'm just like, nope, not going that far out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if it's one of these people, like I, I, I do try to make it. Um, oh yeah, hundred percent. And um, they 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 end up becoming a di at least for me defining part of my life. Yeah. Um, 
But I don't know, is there, are there any experiences you want to share before we start, you know, sort of wrapping up the conversation about, you know, the experience there or transitioning or anything that you think is worth um, sharing with some of the listeners who might be people who are thinking about going to college or are actively transitioning this summer? Like any advice for prepping? Not just Harvard, but I mean in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I hear a lot from my, I have a lot of really, really good friends. Shout out to my other best friend, Amanda, um, who are here at Rutgers, Newark. And one thing that we all talk about is like, it doesn't matter if you're like 10 minutes away from home or 200 miles or you're literally across the country. That transition like into college is not an easy one. It's one that a lot of people do all the time, but it's like, I feel like people like oversimplify how easy it is to go to college because they're just like... Yeah, it's like you get to take classes in what you want to study and stuff like that. And there's just a different level, I guess, of like, I don't want to say commitment, but like it's it's just a little bit different. And I think that what I've, when I talk to like my little brother, or I talk to people um, in his class, it's just like, yeah, I'm so excited for college. And, and I'm like, that's great. Just know that it's not like peaches and candy. Like, you know, <laughs> like it is definitely depending on where you end up. Like there's other factors that you have to consider, like. If I had stayed in Newark, I know Newark. I was born and raised in Newark. Moving to Cambridge, you have to add on the extra culture shock and just adapting to a new environment. And, like, it's, it can be done. And I think one of the things that makes it easier is having that really solid core group of people that you just, they are you, what you can go to for anything. And so that was a lot of advice. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, I definitely think that a big determinant in whether or not, for me at least, whether or not you'll be successful going into higher education is the way you think about things. Uh, Coming out of high school, you know, I used to think, oh, I'm really good at X, Y, and Z, but not so much, you know, these other things. But, I mean, sure, there are people who seemingly are just naturally great at whatever they do, but if if I end up working harder than those people and putting in more effort, it doesn't matter where they started out at. I can, you know, mm. do better than them. But at the end of the day, it's not, as weird as it sounds, it's not supposed to be about doing better than other people. I mean, you can use that as a benchmark for your own personal success. But at the end of the day, if you want to be better at something, you should, you know, put forth the effort because natural talent doesn't mean anything in the long run. And you should want to improve for your own benefit yeah. not to you know have some other title on your resume because it looks better than the next guy yeah and i found one thing that gets a lot like that makes the experience especially with the imposter syndrome that helps it a lot is like stop caring about what people around you are doing because there's going to be somebody who's always doing better i'm putting air quotes on that better than you um there are people who are going to question, like, what is it? Like, I, I know one of the questions I get a lot is, why are you taking American Sign Language classes? And it's like, well, why are you not? You know, like, wait, just, wait, I just want to pause for a second. Can you just talk about what you've done at Harvard already about ASL? And I, I think it's just pretty cool what, oh, what's been going on you. with that stuff. Yeah, so um, I started taking American Sign Language classes when I got there my first semester. I was lucky enough to get into ASL 1. And it's a class of 15 people, but I think my year, like, 40 or 50 showed up. Um, and I just wanted to learn the language. I think that American Sign Language is a really beautiful language. Um, but I went, and it's just the way that my professor taught that class, he's a deaf man himself. 
it was just such a beautiful experience, the class itself, to the point where you kind of forget it's a class. And um, that got me involved with at the Phillips Brooks House, which is the Center for Public Service on campus. There's a club called the Deaf Awareness Club. Um, I decided to join their board. And one of the struggles that they had been pushing for was Harvard didn't recognize American Sign Language for the language requirement. So every student has to take two semesters or test out of a language. Um, and they did not recognize American Sign Language for that requirement. And, you know, through constant persuasion, the, the, the thing was in the handbook it said that it had to have a written component. And, of course, a visual language does not have a written component. Um, but through determination, we kept pushing, pushing, pushing. Like half of the faculty probably recognize our emails um, just by seeing them. They finally, I, last semester, last semester they approved it for the language requirement. And then this semester they allowed it for um, a language citation. Mm -hmm. So if you want to specialize in it, um, which is a really, really cool, it took a lot longer than it should have, but it's a really, really cool experience and we're really, really happy that they finally came around to it. So. Yeah, which means it's on the road to hopefully becoming a, a committee, if not a department. Yes. Least, so which yeah. Be really cool. Yeah. Right now I think they're operating under the linguistics department, but um, hopefully we can get that pushed a little bit more. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I no, just felt no, that no, those no, worth sharing, and like um, it's a really cool story that I've heard, not just from you, but actually outside there. Yeah. Um, I think the Crimson's published about yes. it. Yes. Yeah. So just like fine. And the thing is, a lot of kids that I've been speaking to go in and they're like, oh, I want to do this. And it's like, take it from somebody who walked in saying they wanted to do something and is not doing it anymore. Like, don't put yourself in that basket before you even get there like give yourself the chance to experience different things see what's out there see what you're interested in and if it's something new like that's fine nobody's going to tell you you can't do it unless you're telling yourself you can't do it and the last question is um what do you think harvard could be doing to help like anything specific that you've that's frustrated you and you think maybe harvard should do to help with the not just the transition but being there That's like, what my answer to that question always is, is like, have people who have a sim, like, have people with more diverse backgrounds be in charge of things. Because it's like, it's, it's great. I know one of the struggles that they've been having a lot lately is like CAMS, which is the mental health services on campus. And it's like, it's great that that's a resource, you know, like, every school should have like a mental health resource. And they have multiple for, for students. But just have some people who have a similar background to other students. Because, you know, you lose a lot of people trying to get help if you don't have something that really helps them. You know, like having having a counselor is great. Having a counselor that has a similar experience to you, well, then you've just kind of, you know, you've sealed the deal. And just have people who are a little bit, I guess you would say the unexpected person, because if we talk about it, like the, the college was meant, this is not, anything new the college was meant a long time ago for a very specific set of people and that is not the set of people that are there now and just like you know they're doing some really good things I, I just want to see them push a little bit further um don't worry you don't have to answer because I, I feel bad because I did put you on the spot it's just like how do you reform Harvard in one sentence <laughs> That's a good question <laughs> um but if you, it's okay if you don't have any um, particular suggestions. Because obviously, it's like it's all you're only two years in, right? Yeah. And it's it's off, like a lot of your life is spent looking back, you know, ten years later, being like, oh, that's exactly what I would have needed at that time. Um, which is why I asked the question because sometimes you do know when you're doing it, but sometimes 
Uh, like for me, looking back, I'm like, oh, now I know exactly. I just needed someone, like, like my advisor, to be someone who told me to do X, Y, and Z. Yes. Um, and that's what I would. And that's obviously hard to program around. Um, but I wish I had that. Um, but this is, I love this conversation. Um, <laughs> it's amazing because I think people kind of forget, like my blo- our block is kind of crazy. People think like people from Newark don't go to these institutions or if they do, they're like very rare and they like should be like front page of like the Star Ledger, yeah. um, which is true. We should celebrate them. But like our block was like, there's Yale people, there's Harvard people, there's Princeton people. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's great to have these conversations. I think people kind of forget that like there's life after getting in. Yeah. Um, it's not just about getting in. Um, like no one ever follows up and, and is like, are they doing okay? And most of the times we are, but sometimes people do struggle. And yeah. I want us to talk about that. But I always want to finish on a good note. So if you want to share something you're excited about in Newark, um, is there anything that you you are excited about right now here? Do you want to go? I'll, I'll go. Sure. Uh, go ahead. Go um, ahead. The one thing that I've been seeing a lot is like, and this is a lot from my friends that I went to high school with um but just the amount of talent in this city and like people like taking on their dreams in this city and I I think like those people definitely deserve a lot of recognition and attention because like they're going for it um so shout out to like all the kids who I went to arts with who are like doing their own thing now shout out to the kids who are here like I know a lot of my friends at um Rutgers Newark who um who are doing the honors living learning community and are really talking about things that are happening in Newark and like motivating the students to like become an active part of like what's going on in the city. Um, and just, you know, like shout out to that. Like I always love to see when students get really engaged in what's going on in the, in the broader world, but also like there's a special place called home and just getting involved in what's going around here and what's you know stopping what's not supposed to be happening helping what is supposed to be happening like shout out to all of them yeah uh on the other side of things i guess like developmentally if that's the word in newark like there are a lot of new things that are happening as far as like there's mulberry park or mulberry commons whichever that's called or like all the like beautiful like murals that are painted on the walls so I think it's refreshing to see that new things are still popping up in the neighborhood because a lot of time people that have an outside perspective who've never been here think that we're still like some sort of post-riot city where everything's broke down and like looks like garbage but you know we're making the city and we've been continuing to make the city more beautiful whether that means you know, more opportunities for students to go into higher education or whether that means physically by, you know, trying to build a new park or spray painting the walls with, you know, murals instead of what have you. So I think that's also something I'm really looking forward to, like new developments. Um, This is coming from someone who hates small talk about the weather, but the weather, with the exception of a thunderstorm or two that's happened, was really nice this week. Yes. For once. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I went on for, um, and people are going to think I'm crazy, but a friend and I walked from Newark to Clifton Commons, um, which is a fun walk. There's a, you can basically follow this park almost the, along the entire route. Um, and it was just gorgeous. And it only took about three hours. Um, only three hours. <laughs> um, but I do recommend soaking it up because once June hits in this city, it, it's I love this city in the summer, but it is a, a temporal slog. Yes. Um, but thank you. That's it for this episode. I want to thank our guests, Lucia and Kim. Uh, this is Manny Antunes, host and producer of the Pod and Market podcast, editing and sound engineering by Bye Phrase, uh, podcast logo and design uh, provided by Robert Conti. 
Additional creative input by Samantha Kateis. Pod intro and outro music by Dan Myler. If you have a subject you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please email podandmarket at gmail.com or contact the pod through social media. We also have a Patreon page. Uh, please support us at patreon.com slash podandmarket. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I would like to end with a quote from The Privileged Poor itself, the book that we I've sort of referenced in the beginning. And um, a book, when I read it, I basically covered it full of pencil notes uh, in a way I haven't since law school. <laughs> um, and it's just, uh, I do recommend reading it um, just for the stories that are in it uh, that he collected. Um, but he offers this sort of um, um, thesis here towards the end of the book. Too often we think about those youth who make it out of distressed communities and into college, especially elite colleges, as having already won. These young people, we assume, have hold a golden ticket. Yes, making it into an elite college almost guarantees that you'll graduate. Renowned, like its peers, boasts a, high, a very high graduation rate. But graduation rates do not tell us of students' experiences in college, their trials, or their triumphs. After all, it is one thing for students to graduate. It is another for them to do so whole and healthy, ready for whatever the next adventure brings. Thanks.